Welcome to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. I specifically want to welcome those who are with us in Manistee. We're glad that you're here. And uh, that video, uh, that little 1 Corinthians video, that's probably the last time you're going to see that for a while unless you go online. Because you made it. You made it. We're at the last installment of the 1 Corinthians series. We start a brand new series uh, next week that'll take us into Easter. Um, But this last message, as we cover the last portion of this epic book, is entitled Final Instructions. And the reason we called it Final Instructions is it's, it's very much like us when you're sending someone off into some endeavor, some big venture, whatever it is, uh, usually the last thing that you tell them is the most important. And it's like, don't forget this. You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me like that. I'm going to need your help here. All right. Because this is kind of a big jump. I remember the first time I went into a deer stand alone. Now, I'd I'd already been hunting before, but now my hunting mentor uh, said to me, he goes, now remember, whatever you do, have you ever had someone say that to you? (laughs) Whatever you do, number one, be quiet. Why would he have to ever tell me that, (laughs) right? It's like, be quiet, stay, stay still. He goes, number two, don't be on your phone the whole time. Why would he tell me that, right? And then it was, remember, three points on one side, not total. That's another story I'll never talk about. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, There's no DNR officers. I'm just kidding. Calm down. Calm down, right? And then it was, remember, you hold it right behind the front shoulder, right? And And so it was final instructions, final instructions. I remember the final instructions uh, that we gave to our oldest child when she was in college and she had an opportunity to, to, to do one of these trips abroad, you know, and she's going into Europe and, you know, mom's, you know, scared. That's why she didn't come to the airport with us, you know, and I'm like, whatever you do, don't lose your passport. All right. You got your cash. You got your passport. Remember U.S. Embassy and you're good. Right. Uh, their final instructions somewhere in Arizona, two different coaches are looking at his teams sometime tonight. After all the prep, the game planning, the film, so forth and so on, and he's going to give final instructions. If you forget everything else, right, he's going to say things like pay attention, game awareness, make your first hit a big one, make a statement, you know, those types of things. And that's what Paul does right here in the last part of 1 Corinthians. And because we believe there are no wasted words in Scripture, It's a good idea for us to pay attention. If you're Christian and you want to have any sort of success in following Jesus, whatever success is defined as, I'm not talking about blessing and prosperity and a good life, but if you want to follow Jesus well, we live by the scripture. And in this letter, he's going to give the Corinthian Christians and God's spirit is doing the same thing for us. Whatever's come before, don't forget this. As you go into the most important game, the game of life, the most important game. And you'll remember, he, he wrote this letter to a divided church, and they were messed up in how they were following Jesus, and they were not unified, and, and they were getting sideways on things like spiritual gifts and allowing sin and kind of going along with the world. And so the letter was written as an encouraging corrective, but then he gets to the end, and these are the final instructions. 
So we're in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, if you have a Bible, and we'll start uh, right here in verse 12. He says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus. Sorry, I, I think Fortunatus might have been in the mafia. Don't you think? of Fortunatus. <laughs> Stephanus and Fortunatus. You got to make your hand motion like, like that. Lighten up, people. So Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, within those verses are final instructions, and most of them are packed in verses 13 and 14. In, in, amidst of all of the greetings and all of the instructions and who says hi. And, and if you've been around a while, you've probably seen this meme. I probably should have shared this before. But um, the flow of Paul's letters uh, all follow this direction. I, Paul, write this letter, grace and peace to you for the love of God. Stop being stupid. And Timothy says hi. That, that's kind of how all of his letters go, right? And, and, and that's good because we have built-in forgetters. And, and this is kind of the flow here as we get to the end, although it's not the Timothy, it's some other people that say hi. But before we jump into the instructions that I want to focus on in verse 13 and 14, there's, there's two little interesting, th well, a couple little interesting things I think it's good for us. I don't want to nerd out too much, but I love the fact that he mentions names. And these names matter. These are real people. It gives a flavor of the authenticity that these are real people in space and time writing a letter to real people. That's why we get the greetings. That's why it's important. There's this guy, Apollos, and we've heard his name before. In fact, he was one of the reasons that they were dividing not his fault, but because some people were like, well, I like Apollos better than Paul, or I like, I like Peter better than Apollos and Paul, if you remember that all the way from chapters one and two. And so this is a real guy, and Paul and Apollos are like this, and he's saying, Apollos is going to come and see you. And then we've got Stephanus and, you know, Fortunatus and, and some of these other people. But I want to highlight this one. Uh, in verse 19, it says, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca. Now, when I first read that this week, I was like, wait, I've heard of Aquila and Priscilla, but who is Prisca? And so I took a moment, I nerded out, little Bible gateway, little commentary, and I thought I'd just share this little nugget because I think it's important. 
Prisca and Priscilla are the same person. Prisca is like her formal name. Priscilla is like the diminutive, kind of like Daniel and Danny, right? And so it's the same person. And, and I think it's important to point out because this lady, Priscilla, or as he says here, Prisca, she appears in scripture. Her name appears in scripture at least six times, at least six times. And, and, and so not out of fear, but just out of information, there was a couple of weeks ago where we talked about gender roles and, and, and what God sees as gender roles in the home and specifically gender roles in the church. And it would be very easy if you were a woman to think you were a second-class citizen. And if, if you still felt that way after the sermon, you missed the point entirely. Because in God's eyes, women are not second-class citizens. God is not a sexist. The church is not misogynist. But we do believe that God created male and female, male and female, he created them. Equal value, different roles. And so this woman, Priscilla, she's kind of a big deal. Because in those six plus times that she is mentioned, many times her name actually appears first as Priscilla and Aquila. That would never happen unless she was a woman of some stature. And if you go back to Acts chapter 18, you find out a little bit more about this couple. Paul met them when he first went to Corinth. They'd been kicked out of where they were from because they were Jewish believers and they'd come to that city and their trade was tent making. And Paul didn't want the Corinthians to suspect that he was some sort of a charlatan or a guy just there for the money, like a prosperity gospel TV preacher. And so he actually, in Corinth, joined their business and made tents with them. If you've ever heard of someone called a tent maker, that's what it's in reference to in Acts chapter 18. But they also traveled with him on some of his missionary journeys. He said, and and Priscilla and Aquila went with me. And this power couple that, that served and ministered together, they were the ones who first heard Apollos when he was a brand new Christian, and, and he was so fired up that he was preaching to anyone and everyone who would listen to him, he would preach the gospel, except he didn't fully understand it. And in Acts 18, it says, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and taught him the parts that he was missing. They made him a better preacher. And Apollos humbled himself to be taught by this woman and this man. Are you following me? And so, hey, I I just thought I'd throw that out there. That was for free. (laughs) She's a hero of the faith. She's kind of a big deal. Are you with me there? The other thing I have to address is apparently it's biblical about this greeting one another with a holy kiss. All right? So, men, I'm going to ask you all to stand... I'm just kidding. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) Calm down. That was a cultural thing, but it was a sign of their great, great affection. You know, I remember years ago, I had the privilege of being on a mission trip. This was years ago. It was before I was married. I was on a mission trip to the uh, former Soviet Union. And uh, we were in one of the republics, or well, now it's a republic. At the time, it was still a part of it. uh, The Republic of Georgia, not the state of Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. And uh, there had been a church that had survived over 40 years of communist rule. And uh, here we are, there's like 25 of us. We're a Christian soccer team, you know, all bright-eyed and, you know, just fully American, young, fit, the whole deal. 
everyone in this church was old <laughs> because they'd been there for 40 years of communism. And, and there was very few men. Most of them had either uh, been, been scared away or had been imprisoned or even killed. And so it was mostly older women. And older women in Mother Russia are called babushkas. They're kind of a rough lot, right? Well, we didn't understand a lot that's going on in the, in the service, but all of a sudden there came a time where everybody stood and all these little old ladies are coming right after us. And they are smiling and puckered up. And the translator, I was like, hey, what's happening? And the translator, this is the part of holy kiss. And I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> Someone asked me last night, did it happen? Yes. And that's why I'm in therapy. So holy kiss, uh, uh, it's more about being affectionate. But where I want to focus in the time that we have is in verses 13 and 14. Because there comes some rapid fire instructions for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. If you're going to survive in this world that is assaulting us all of the time with ideas that this is old, this is outdated, it's not true, it's not scientific, and all the other things it's labeled with. If you're going to survive, don't miss this. If you're a student about ready to leave home and head off to the service or college, don't miss this. If you're an adult about to leave the doors of T2 or T77 and go in the big bad world of northern Michigan, don't miss this. If you're going to survive from Sunday to Sunday, don't miss this. First thing he says is be watchful. Be watchful. What does he mean, be watchful? It's the same thing if you were to say to someone, be on guard, stay alert. What we tell our soccer players when we're coaching them, we say, eyes about, keep your head on a swivel. Be watchful, be alert for what? You watch your life, you watch your doctrine, you watch for temptation, you watch for danger. It was in chapter 10 of this same book where he said, if you think you are doing good, take heed lest you fall. The most dangerous times for me, whether it's temptation to sin or whether it's to be discouraged, it, it, it's always in the times when I think I'm doing good and when I've gotten complacent. I mean, it's the same way when you're driving down the road like this and you, know, you decide it's a good time to check emails. That's not watchful. Stay alert. Be on your guard. Keep your eye on the prize. Wiser men than me have said this more than once. No matter how far down the road you are following Jesus, you're never more than two feet from the ditch. And when I end up in the ditch, it's when I've taken my eyes off the road, when I haven't been watchful, when I haven't been on guard, I haven't had eyes about. And so this, this, this begins his final instructions. He says, be watchful. And then he says, stand firm, stand firm and specifically stand firm in the faith. Now the implication is not just stand firm in the faith, believing that there's a God, 
Most Americans believe there's a God, but I don't believe most Americans believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and his ascension and that he's alive today and anything more than just kind of a fairy tale God. I don't believe that. The implication is Paul is saying, stand firm in the faith of all that you have been taught and all that you are learning. Stand firm in your convictions. Well, in order to do that, you need to know what you believe and why. You need to know what you believe and why. And and this isn't a complaint. This is just a warning. Many of you come to church week in and week out and you take my word for it. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Tim and I have talked about this before. We could create a really good heretical church that taught the prosperity gospel and I could have a lot of money. Now, some of you would be gone because you know your Bible. And, 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 and that's not our plan, by the way. Okay, so don't freak out on me. But how do you know? How do you know? One of the things I love to do is, is when I'm with uh, 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 men, you know, specifically like guys in Fight Club, and there's something they're really passionate about that I know nothing about. I like to see them in kind of their environment, and then they can teach me something. Whether it's about cars or it's about guns or if I see them on a job site, you know, and what's funny is they'll say, well, you know, the specs on these girders, what we're doing, you know, dealing with is something about the rotary pipes and I'm over here going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm the guy, if you come to my house, I'll take three. Just, just what am I buying? I, I, I don't know, right? Now, I know a little bit about this and I know it's important for me to educate myself about what I don't know. But when it comes to God's word, if you're going to stand firm in the faith, you need to know what you believe, why you believe it. And if you don't know exactly what it is on cue, you at least need to know how to find it. That's what we're trying to do with our, with our small groups, whether it's with students or with women or fight clubs with men. Is it, it isn't so much just the stuff we're going through. It's to train men and women how to find it for themselves. If you're going to stand firm in your convictions then you won't be swayed by every little bit of teaching or every little verse that you can't quite explain or the person on the job site who's not even a believer but seems to know more about the problems in your Bible than you do. That's a problem. Stand firm, he says, in the faith. In Acts chapter 17, um, it speaks of this group of people, these Christian, these Jewish Christians in Berea, They're called the Bereans. And it says about them, the Bereans were more noble because they received the teaching of the gospel with gladness, but they also examined the scriptures daily to see if it was true. So they heard about the Messiah. They heard about Jesus. They heard about his resurrection and how it fulfilled all these prophecies. And they received it. They had open hearts at the worship service. But then when they got home, they examined the scriptures to make sure that what was being taught was actually verified. Standing firm means you trust, but you verify. You verify. So he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And then I love this because it's it's most accurately 
I think, translated in versions like the ESV that puts it this way. It says, act like men. And I added, and women, in honor of the ladies and Priscilla, right? But I love the fact that he says, act like men. Some translations put there, uh, be courageous. It's more than just that. Be courageous is like, you know, uh, uh, be strong, little camper, right? But act like men, that's kind of a call out. And he said, like he's, he's appealing to our manhood, gentlemen. He's appealing to our womanhood, ladies. He says, act like men, as opposed to acting like children. We're like boys. Now, I'll confess, there's times when I just feel like I'm a, a boy with more wrinkles and aches, pains, and bills, right? And I'm told by older people than me, that doesn't really change. You're like, I was just 16, you know? Bought my first six string. Bought. No, sorry, I never had a six string, but... But we just get older, and sometimes we need to be reminded to act like adults, to act mature, he's saying. Yes, it's courage, but it's saying we need to mature. We need to grow up, grow up in the Lord. Now, listen, Paul's saying this. I know you're very mature. So I don't want you, you know, if you're visiting for the first time, yeah, the preacher told us to grow up. Well, Paul said it, right? But he says, be, be mature. Well, what is the difference between a child and an adult? What's the difference between a boy and a man? And I know we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. The difference isn't strength. The difference isn't stuff. The difference, yeah, there might be a little bit of courage, but it's really about responsibility. Taking responsibility. That's what a man does. That's what a real man is. A real man doesn't have the biggest truck, the biggest business, the most beautiful babe, and got, you know, all of his stuff. No, a real man comes in all shapes and sizes, all sorts of vocations, different interests. But a real man takes responsibility. He rejects passivity. Instead of being like his first father, Adam, we choose to be like our real father, the second Adam, Jesus. And that's about responsibility. Responsibility for what? Well, we take responsibility for our faith. We take responsibility for ourselves. We take responsibility for providing for ourselves. We take responsibility for our home. And when we can take responsibility for all the stuff that I'm in charge of, then I can learn to take responsibility for people around me. And I'm not talking about being bossy. I'm talking about engaging with other people, knowing that, you know what, you kind of know what you're about. You're, You're being watchful, you're standing firm. That's a part of maturity. And so we, we don't have this, you know, big secret plan to get everybody in a group so we can somehow control people. Like my goal with Fight Club is to help men learn how to take responsibility for their own faith so they can be confident. They may not know everything, but they're gonna learn where to find it. And they're going to lock arms with other men who are trying to take responsibility. And ladies, when you see your man trying to take responsibility, your job is not to show him all the ways he's not taking responsibility. That's not the way to get him to be what you're trying to make him into be. I'm ranting now. But it's true. But it's not just men taking responsibility. It's 
women taking responsibility. That's part of growing up. An adult can take care of herself or himself to the degree that now they can care and serve others better. But I still like the way Paul said it. It was better. Act like men. It's a little kick in the batteries. That's good. And then the fourth one he says is be strong. Be strong. Now, if you hear be strong and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, you're probably in trouble. (laughs) You need to go back to be watchful. Because if there's anything I've learned in 52 years is how not strong I really am, how weak I am, weak-willed, weak-minded, weak in faith, weak in knowledge, weak in prayer. I'm weak. And as we've said before, we, we, we need to remember that God... God understands that we are dust, right? So why is Paul telling me to be strong? Well, this is a good place to to rely on other scripture that reminds us that we are weak. And the strength he's talking about, this should be an encouragement, is taking strength in the Lord. We rely on the Lord. How many Psalms, how many prophets like Isaiah talk about relying upon the Lord's strength? I know I'm weak, but I also know that I'm strong because I choose to hide my life behind Jesus Christ. I know that I'm weak-willed. I know that I sin, but I also remember that I'm bought and paid for, that I'm forgiven and I'm beloved. And so you can say a lot of things, but that doesn't change my identity in Christ. That's where my strength is. People who rely on the Lord are the strongest people you'll meet. I have a friend who has a ridiculous saying. He says, when, when, when you rely on the Lord, you're like a toothpick duct taped to a lead pipe. <laughs> Can't break the lead pipe as easy as you can break a toothpick, right? That's what relying on the Lord is about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that when we rely on the Lord, his power is made perfect in our weakness. You see, you think if you're strong, oh, that's a strong Christian. I'm going to be a strong Christian. I'm going to grip it. I'm going to be the strongest, strong faith, strong man that there is. You're headed for disaster. But when you realize your own weakness and instead choose to rely on God's strength, his power, which is infinite, is made perfect in your weakness. That's why so many of us were afraid to open our mouths at school or at work about our faith. We're not strong. We're fearful because we think the strength needs to be found in us. But it doesn't. The strength is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he won the victory. He guaranteed it to me. I'm his child. And so when I realize that strength, I am fearless in talking about faith, no matter who is against me. So be watchful, stand firm, act like men and women, be strong, because that's where his power is made perfect in our weakness. And then the last thing, 
And I think the last thing of the last thing is usually the most important thing, right? You know, I'm thinking right now before big games that we coach, you know, it's always like eyes about, get stuck in, make your first tackle a big one, you know, be on the front foot, don't be on the back foot. And then me or Coach Jones, one of us will say, and enjoy yourselves. It's a game. It's a game. Seniors, this might be your last one. Enjoy every minute of it. That is the most important thing to remember. Usually the last thing of the last things we'll tell our players is that, and remember, we love you. We love you. We love you more as people than we do as players. It's not your performance. And he says in verse 14, Paul doesn't let us down. Let all that you do be done in love. Don't forget to enjoy the game. Remember that you're loved and everything you do should be in love. Everything in love. That's the last of his final instructions. Now, this is not an afterthought. Don't miss this, church. This is the climax of where we're going with the message. This is the climax of 1 Corinthians 16. This is the top of the mountain right here. When he says everything in love, that's not like a cherry on the Sunday. I don't even like cherry. I was like, get the cherry out of there. It ruins everything. It's not the, like a little garnish. on. It's not a side dish. Love is the main dish. Love is the point. Heard a pastor years ago preach a message on, on the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Or as we put it here, love God and love people. He says that's the main thing. And the whole point of his whole sermon, every point he made, is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You won't forget that, will you? And the main thing is love. Why? Second shortest verse in the Bible. God is love. God is love. Everything about God is love. Even his wrath and his justice and his judgment is love. God is love. And the point is God's trying to make us like him. And so even all of the hard things that Paul has said throughout this book, remember that all of his instructions are swimming in the sea of love. You take them outside of love and they die like a fish flopping on the, on the pier. If there's not love, be watchful, stand firm, be strong. None of that works. It doesn't work. Everything in love. Loving one another. Loving even our enemies. Loving even those we don't like. And that is possible, you know. You choose to love them. I don't like them. I didn't invite them to the Super Bowl party. They ruined the last one. But I love them from over here. It's still love. And it's loving God. Everything in love. That's the main thing. That's the substance. In fact, in all the rest of his final words, all of, the, um, all of these people he's talking about, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, you know, they're fellow workers, they're laborers, they're devoted to one another, they're devoted to the service, hearty greetings from these people. The churches in Asia who you've never met and they've never met you, they send you their greetings. All of that is love. Do you see the love? 
That's who we're supposed to be. If you forget everything, don't forget to love. There's not going to be a theology test, I don't believe, at the gates of heaven. Did you know Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then you love. You get those two things right, you're good. What do you think about the atonement? Never heard of it. Did you go through membership? Uh, No, I never bought that from the pastors. (laughs) Did you love? Did you love? Like Jesus. You see, without love, all of these, even these final instructions don't make any sense. They fall flat. So if you say, oh, I'm going to be watchful. But if you're watchful without love, all you are is mistrusting. And how many Christians have I met that don't have open hearts to anyone else because they've been hurt and they don't trust? So, oh, they're watchful, but they don't trust anything. They're not like the Bereans that receive God's word with love. They don't even receive it because they don't trust. But, oh, they're getting watchful down in their flesh. But if I have love, I can be watchful, but I can be open instead of mistrusting. If you're going to stand firm without love, that's a huge danger in the church. We get fearful of what we see in the world and then we hear, oh, stand firm and then we become rigid. We make rigid rules. We have a rigid legalism. There's no bending. We love sacred cows in the church, our little traditions that have no basis in scripture, but we're gonna hang on to those. Hang around the tabernacle long enough. We love sacred cows. They're delicious. There's a slaughter and a barbecue. If you think you're mature but don't have love, you have no charity. No charity for those who are younger in the faith or there's no charity for those that that don't have your level of knowledge or whatever. But a truly mature person who loves, their hearts are open, They're they're full of grace for others who are still on the journey towards maturity. And there's a great danger in trying to be strong without love. Because if you're strong without love, that leads to self-reliance. Because if you're strong within yourself, you think you're kind of a big deal. But if it's full of love, self-giving love for God and for others, then you're not relying on yourself. You're relying on God's strength. And so these are the final instructions for us. As we run after Jesus, we don't forget these things and we remember what's most important, everything in love. Our Lord Jesus said similar things in his final instructions. If you study John, the gospel of John chapter 13 through 17, he's almost like a stenographer of everything Jesus did on the last night at the Last Supper, before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, and then tortured, and then tried, and then tortured again, and then killed on a cross for me and for you. And his disciples were fearful. They were not strong. They were not watchful. They did not act like men. They acted like boys. One of them betrayed, one of them denied him three times, and the rest ran away and left him alone. 
But in John 13, it records his final instructions, knowing that he was about to die. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Do you see a theme here? you see a pattern here, church? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Do that and all the rest will make sense. If you don't know that love because you haven't placed your trust and faith in Jesus, it's not about getting yourself fixed first. It's about saying yes to receive that love. And what comes with it is forgiveness and adoption and redemption and a new life. And for those of us that do call ourselves Christians, it's a new commitment to loving God and loving people as proof that we are his, as proof that we're a changed life. And so it's fitting that uh, this morning in both locations, both here and in Manistee, uh, we're gonna celebrate communion together. And I would ask you to go ahead and bow your heads with me. The bands are gonna come and they're gonna sing for us, but scripture um, encourages us to prepare our hearts for communion. That means if I'm a Christian, that if there's sin in my life, I confess those sins to God. That if, that if there's sin that I don't want to rectify or, or if I have grudges against my brother, that, that, that maybe this isn't the time to take communion until I can straighten them out. The invitation as always is if you're not a Christian but you'd like to become one, this is open for you. But scripture also warns us if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is something to observe but not participate in. The Gospels record that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after the Passover meal, he took bread and he broke it. And to his disciples, he said, take and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. And they had no idea that in a few short hours, he would be hung on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And as they were taking the bread, he then took the cup And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's blood that is shed for you. And it's a reminder to us that we receive God's grace by faith, that I don't pay for my sins, Jesus paid for my sins, so that I can be clean, so I can be a new creation. And we're reminded that as often as we drink it, we remember his death until the second coming. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that for thick-headed people, the final instructions are pretty simple. And that is to love like you loved us. To love you, to love others 
to love the unlovable. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating your love for us through your sacrifice. Spirit, thank you that when you live in our lives, we can learn to love the way you would have us love. And so, God, I pray that we would not forget these final instructions. And even in these moments, as we commune with you, we will not forget that we're also communing with one another. This is a shared meal that you instructed to your church, not just as a, as a ritual, but as something we experience together. So, God, I pray for those who do not know you, that maybe even in this moment would be the first demonstration of faith in you and that they would choose to participate believing that you are God and that Jesus, you have risen from the dead and offered salvation for sins. So God, in these moments, we remember. My prayer, Spirit, is that you would make your word clear to our memories as we go from this place. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So both here and in Manistee, uh, we're going to invite you to come. I would remind you that because this is communion with God and one another, don't be afraid to smile at somebody. We're trying to show reverence, but remember that we also love one another. And if you choose to use a holy kiss, make sure you know that person really, really well. (laughs) So God bless you. We invite you to come when you're ready.